Well, I've been I've just started watching this uh, this show on Amazon Prime called The Sessions, and it's the first episode. It just came out, and the first episode features Draymond Green, you know, the center and big forward of the uh, NBA championship team, right? The Golden State Warriors. And so Draymond Green's uh, obviously a great player, exciting to watch. He plays with a ton of emotion, as you know, and sometimes those emotions get the better of him. Has an anger problem. And so one of the insightful things he says in this episode, he goes, losing bothers me more than winning fulfills me. And you hear that, you know, you hear that. I mean, it's not uncommon. You know, I, I hear that and I'm immediately going, well, you're, you're looking for fulfillment the wrong place, you know? I mean, even winning a national championship is just not going to do it. Anyway, his hatred of fear of losing fuels these strong emotional reactions. And so, I didn't realize this, but over his 10-year career in the NBA, he's been fined nearly $1 million for acting out. And that's more than any other player in history. That's quite a stat. And so his anger and fear also sometimes causes problems on his team. And so his coaches and his teammates want him to get some help to manage those emotional outbursts, those destructive emotions. So the the sessions, the whole thing it is, is how do star athletes deal with the emotional intensity of their field? And so in this first episode, dated July 2021, Green goes to a session with this new age guru to learn meditation techniques. And so on the way, he's, he's asked, what are you expecting? That's a great question. You know, I think probably a therapist asks us those questions. What are you expecting from our time together? And he goes, what's well, a lane I've never dove into? I, I'm... I'm if I'm expecting anything, it's the unexpected. And so I'm, you know, I'm looking at this passage and watching that, and I really like that question. You know, what are you expecting today even? And we all know we've got a big problem that we can't deal with. We've got a big problem that deals, leads to other problems, that we can't fix it. We can't fix it. And we know we're looking for help. The whole world's looking for help. We're looking for help. Where do we go? Why have we come today? What are you expecting this morning? And so as we look at this passage today, and I've been loving this section, so our, our overall section is 7-1 to 8-3. And as I've said in this section, it focuses on, well, Jesus' identity is questioned. And so it makes sense because he's just identified himself as the king of the kingdom. And so it makes sense that now we have a section where his identity is put to, put to the the test. It's questioned. And related to that, questioning the kind of faith you and I are to have in him is considered. And so our little portion today from 7, 18 to 35, I meant to preach one sermon on it. Last week I realized I needed two. This week I realized I need three. So we're going to read 18 to 35, but we're not going to cover all of it uh, in the sermon this morning. So the first part is what we dealt with last week. Hear God's word. 718. 
the disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And in that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight, and he answered them. Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor of good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. And when John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, and I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation and what are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine and you say he is a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. You say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. And the grass withers, the flowers fade. And this good word endures forever. Thanks be to God. Well, as I said last week, the portion is structured around three questions. You notice that in the reading. There's three principal questions here. And we dealt with the most important question, really the question of your life. If you can ask one question in your life, this is a good way to ask it. John the Baptist question, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for someone else? And that's the question for you. Are you the savior we know we need or is it someone else? You know, really, that's, that's what we're asking through the week. Are you the savior I need or do I need something else? 
And so remember, we said it's not that John the Baptist is in the process of coming to faith. He's not a seeker coming to faith. It's not that he's just having a crisis of faith as if he's a graduate that went to college, got in a class and discovers there are other religions and he's working on it in a pluralistic world. He's not in that kind of crisis, but he is in crisis. His doubt is of a particular sort. John the Baptist's doubt is that he's disappointed with Jesus. He's not questioning really if he is the one, but he's disappointed with his performance. He's disappointed both in the way Jesus is carrying out his ministry, and he's disappointed in the way Jesus is treating him. I mean, he's discouraged. He's languishing in Herod's prison, in this dungeon. He's been there for a year, close to two, maybe. He's not sure what's going to happen to him. He's not understanding why Jesus doesn't just bring the judgment he proclaimed he was going to bring. He's not understanding why he isn't leading a national revival that's affecting the leadership in Jerusalem. He's not understanding why he doesn't set his herald forerunner, his own cousin, free from prison. Like if anybody should have gotten preferential treatment, maybe it should have been John. And so there's an edge to the question. It's an edge that you might be familiar with. You're not meeting my expectations. You're not doing things like I think you ought to do them. He feels hurt. He feels let down. I mean, we can imagine thoughts like that. It's very likely that you've had thoughts like that. I've had thoughts like that. This isn't the life I thought I'd have. You know, this isn't the ministry I signed up for. You know, this isn't the, the circle of influence I thought I was going to get. Things aren't working out the way I had planned. Like, what's going on? Do you care about me? Do you care about the effort I put into this? Are you bringing the kingdom to pass or not? He's distraught, despairing. But coming from John, he sends two messengers to Jesus surrounded by a ton of people. They ask him that question. From John, Jesus' great advocate, announcer, proclaimer, the question is embarrassing. It's even insulting. And so we wonder, how is Jesus going to respond to it? And we just see how kind he is. He's always so kind. He's sympathetic towards us in our dark nights of the soul. He doesn't take a step back. In verse 23, he does rebuke John. But I mean, it's a loving rebuke. He phrases it like a beatitude. He could have done it differently but he speaks in a beatitude. And blessed is the one who's not offended by me. And just sit with that statement a little bit. 
It's as if he says, look, I know it's, I know it's tough. And I know you don't understand and you can't understand. But blessed are you if you don't get offended by me. And you trust me. And you trust that my way is the way of blessedness. He says the same to you today. He comes to you and says, blessed are you for not getting offended by me. That's like a low bar, isn't it? Blessed are you. Blessed are you when you don't get offended by my way of doing ministry. Blessed are you when you don't get offended by my way of treating you and loving you. And see, you and I can like, embrace this better than John could. Because you and I know the great mystery of the universe. We know the foolishness of the cross. And because we know the foolishness of the cross, we know that Jesus changes us and changes the world, not by power, but by weakness, not by strength, but by suffering. We know his kingdom is an upside down kingdom. We know it. It oftentimes doesn't make sense to us, but that's how he does things. That's how he does things in your life. Review your life when you've grown. But it's confusing oftentimes. We feel hurt sometimes. But Jesus says, blessed are you when you don't get offended by me. Well, then he continues on, and the English preacher William Still says it this way. I love this little quote. He says, John may have misgivings with Jesus, but Jesus doesn't have misgivings with John. I don't know, when somebody has misgivings with you, how do you turn that back? But Jesus hadn't changed. When you are critiquing Jesus, he's not critiquing you. So when John's disciples leave, Jesus begins to speak very well of John. Like he pours it on for John. And he speaks well of John's relationship and importance to this new era that Jesus is bringing in. So I just want to do this question, the second question. Why did you go out into the wilderness? What did you go out into the wilderness to see? So Jesus is asking the question now. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? So many had overheard John's question. And they could have concluded that John's just unstable. He's wishy-washy. He talked a good game, but he's not backing it up. So Jesus defends him. And again, so encouraging. There's this accusatory question, and yet Jesus defends his friend. It's as if he tells you, I want you to come to me, no matter how messy and raw your disappointments are. Come to me with them. John did the right thing. He did. He sent his two representatives straight to Jesus. Are you doing that? He can handle it. He can handle it. We see him handle it here. And then Jesus exalts John before the crowd. It seems many had grown cool toward John and his ministry. They questioned whether they should have been so taken in by him. Have you ever made a big like commitment or... or been involved with something, we got real enthusiastic, and all of a sudden you started like sitting cool to it and wondering if you made the right decision. It looks like a number of people are doing that. So Jesus 
unites himself with John, reaffirms him, and, and puts his arm around him. And what he's saying, like, we're on the same team. We're not different. So three times Jesus asks the crowd, and that's important. Three times he asks them, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? He's pressing them. So many of them had traveled 50 miles to get out there. Now some of them were closer, but many had, like, some had traveled up to 100 miles to go out in the middle of nowhere and go see John. Go hear John. I mean, they took off work. They forewent day labor income. They made an effort, took time. They carried their food. Many slept in tents. Like, why did you do that, Jesus is asking. What were you looking for? And so the question is for us, too. You know, why do you take the time and make the effort to be here today? What are you looking for? And there's a lot of options that you could be doing this morning, but you're here. And why are you here? What are you expecting? Or when you sense a big problem in your life, when God gives you the grace of seeing your sin and seeing your need, where do you go looking for help? How do you respond to that? I mean, we go looking for help, and we should. Please don't go to a New Age guru. We got wonderful therapists in our congregation, ones like them. We go to workshops, classes, all good stuff. In all of this, in all of this, to whom are we always going? You know, if Jeremiah were speaking here, he'd say something like this. Are you going to the spring of living water? Or in that situation, do you try to make your own cistern? Or he'd say, you're going back to the ancient past, or you're trying to forge your own. Like, where are you going? Why are you here? What do we need? What do we expect? So Jesus asks, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? First answer, a reed shaken by the wind? Did that draw you out there? Get you to walk 50 miles and pack up all your food? Well, one way to understand this is, did you, um, did you go out to see something commonplace? See, reeds grew everywhere. I mean, you go out your back door and see a reed. So surely you didn't go all the way out in the wilderness just to see a reed. I mean, you could have stayed home and saw a reed. You could stay, you could see that anywhere. And when you came out here, you recognized John wasn't just your run-the-mill teacher. I mean, there was something different about him. You wanted to hear him. Well, further, further along those lines, what does Jesus mean? He's saying, well, you went out to see him, this special teacher, and you didn't go to hear this guy that shook like a reed, you know, that was swayed by popular opinion, that put up his finger and tried to see which way the wind was blowing and gave you what you wanted to hear. Like, he wasn't some flaky guy that you went out to listen to. You wouldn't have made that effort. You went out to hear a solid, sturdy oak tree. You went out to hear someone firm as a rock, not fickle as a reed. A man of conviction that told you the truth. You knew you had a problem, 
and you wanted solid answers. That's why you went out. John was God's alarm clock to wake you up because you were sleeping. That's why you went out. Well, then Jesus asks again, what did you go out to see? Second answer, a man dressed in soft clothing? I mean, behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury in king's courts, like you went to the wrong place. If you wanted something commonplace, you should have stayed home. If you wanted to see something attractive and spectacular and exotic and eye-catching, you should have gone somewhere else, like you missed the turn in the road. Not to a desert, not to a guy with camel hair. Like you, surely you didn't go out there looking for something exotic. I mean, you didn't go to a party. You didn't go to a parade. You didn't go to a fashion show. You didn't go to check labels out to see what everybody was dressed like. You weren't looking at your favorite brands. You didn't go to be entertained, to see and be seen. That's not why you went out there. And so Jesus asks a third time. So what then did you go out to see? And the third answer, a prophet. Did you go to see a prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. That is, you went out to him because you were hungry. You tried to fill it with other ways and you couldn't. You went out to him because you were thirsty. You tried to satisfy that thirst in other ways. It just didn't work. You went out to God's prophet after 400 years, you know, there hadn't been a prophet of God and you, you heard there was a prophet of God. You went out to him and you made all the effort to get out there. You realized God had anointed John to speak with his authority. He said, thus saith the Lord to you, with conviction and with persuasion and with clarity and this unbelievable humility. I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. He warned you of God's wrath, that it wasn't a game. Like, he magnifies God's righteousness to you. He exposed your sins before your face. He held out the gospel hope of forgiveness to you. He called you to repentance. He prepared you for me. So you engaged with God. You met with God. Like you did business with God. That's why you went out there. You, you confessed your sins publicly before other people. Like your family and friends saw you confess sins. You broke with your past life. You turned to God in faith. You were baptized to the symbol of that washing of forgiveness. You experienced the forgiveness of sins. It was freeing to you. You came up to me and said, what do we do? <laughs> Three times, you recall, they said, what do we do? We just want to follow God. You knew you had a big need. You came out in the desert to get help. So the question is, what if you... Where do you go? Where do you go? Why have you come today? Is it just commonplace, you know? Is it just a routine? It's just what we do. 
In the South, we just do it. Or have you come here just to feel better, to hear you what you want to hear? You know, one of those scary verses in 2 Timothy 4 is a people that have an itching ears, they want to accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Like we want an uplift, but we don't want to engage God's word. Have you come or for a show or to find out what's new or to see people or, or be seen? Like, what were you expecting? Have you come with the real you seeking the real God? Have you come with your big problems to meet with God who can help? And so Jesus continues to emphasize the importance of who they went out to see. John's just not any prophet. John's the prophet that Malachi prophesied about. When he said, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before me. Like he's the prophet who is himself prophesied about. There's not another one like that. John was prophesied about. Commissioned to prepare the people for the Messiah. So you went out because you realized, whether you realized it or not, among those born of women, none is greater than John. So why is John great? What made John great? Well, John, you know, John's graces were great. His gifts were great. Off the charts. The way John went about his ministry was great, stellar, exemplary. But what Jesus especially means is John's place, John's privileges in God's plan of salvation. Matthew Henry says it this way, all the prophets before him spoke of Christ from a distance, heralding from afar, but John spoke of Christ at the door. He opened it for Jesus. It's great. He got to open the door. John's the bridge between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. He's the one that got the honor of ushering in the one you and I have been waiting for, the herald of Christ. But then Jesus says something unexpected and, and surprising. He says, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So think about that one for a minute. So we say greater than John? Greater than John. So I wasn't prophesied about. No angel announced my birth. I didn't leap in my mother's womb when she pulled out a Bible and read scripture, I don't think. I haven't been as dedicated and consecrated to God. I certainly have not been such a powerful preacher, bold, charismatic leader, and humble servant. There ain't no way I'm greater than John. But what is Jesus saying to you today? Well, just as Jesus said John's greatness is owing to his place, his privileges in God's plan of salvation... He's looking at you today and he's saying that your greatness, the greatness of the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is owing to your greater place 
and your greater privileges in God's kingdom. In God's way of doing things, the more grace he gives you, the greater you are. You see, the crowds were able to witness Jesus doing things that John couldn't. I mean, he was in prison and Jesus is healing all kinds of people. The disciples experienced far more. You and I experienced things of Jesus that John, the herald of Christ, could not experience. And when we know the cross of Christ, we know the resurrection of Christ. Like no one was prepared for that. We experience a relationship with Jesus in a way not even John could experience. I mean, we have fellowship with the risen Christ. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit who like we have a claim on him. We have the comfort of God who declares himself our Father in a way John didn't understand. The very least of us, and Jesus loves the least. Because Jesus says, blessed are the poor, blessed are the mournful, blessed are the hungry, blessed are the persecuted. He loves the least. Are you a wanderer today? Are you divided in your heart today? The very least of us is greater than John in the sense that you enjoy a greater place and greater privileges in Jesus' kingdom. The last two verses of this section, verse 29 and 30, Luke summarizes the Jewish response to Jesus. And this is a, a parenthesis. So Luke, the narrator, the storyteller, is talking now. He's preparing for the next question, so I'm starting to preach the next one. Luke says, the people in general, and especially the tax collectors, they declared God just, or they justified God. And we don't usually talk in those terms, but that's really provocative. They declared God just, they justified God. How? That is, they confessed that God's ways were right. What God said about them was right. What they needed, what God said they needed was right. They confessed that by repenting of their sins and being baptized for the forgiveness of sins. But others of the people, and especially the Pharisees and experts of the law who ought to have known better, they rejected the purpose of God for themselves. By how? Refusing to repent of their sin, viewing themselves as above it, and refusing to be baptized. They said God wasn't right about their big need, their sin and their guilt, and they wasn't right about the remedy they needed. They chose a different path, their faith in their own record, not faith in Jesus. So they all went out to the desert, they all went looking, They all went to see John, but their reasons were different. They declared their own way right and not the way John preached. So again, Jesus looks at us. He really wants to press us. Those three questions. What do you expect? Why do you take the time? Why do you make the effort? What did you come for today? What did you expect 
Are we justifying God today? Are we declaring him right, his view of our problem, his way of saving us, his way of sanctifying us? Or are we getting offended? I mean, we're here to say we have a million dollar problem. I mean, really, it's an unpayable problem. We're confessing Jesus is the one to come and we're not looking for another. Like, what if you woke up Monday morning and said, I'm not looking for another? He's the one we have to say. Maybe Job says it best, you know. I look at John the Baptist through the lens of Job. Though you slay me, yet will I trust in you. I'm not looking for another. Or Peter, after the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus said, do you want to leave too? To whom am I going to go? You have the words to eternal life. We're here to grow in our privileges. Two quotes I love of the last few years. One by John Owen, 16th century, 17th century English Puritan. He says, unacquaintedness with our mercies, our privileges, is our sin as well as our trouble. A current Scottish preacher, Ian Hamilton, says it this way. Our greatest hindrance in the Christian life is not our lack of effort, but our lack of acquaintedness with our privileges. Are you one of the least of these today? Do you know your privileges? Do you realize your greatness in Jesus' kingdom and some of those privileges, you know, we sang about in Just As I Am. Now just listen to this. I mean, do you realize that your privilege, your, your, your greatness is not the sum of your achievements, but it's the wealth of grace poured on you. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. Just as I am, though tossed about with many a conflict, many a doubt, Fighting and fears within, without. O Lamb of God, I come. Just as I am, thou wilt receive, wilt welcome, pardon, cleanse, relieve. Because thy promise I believe, O Lamb of God, I come. Have you come to meet with such a Savior, to grow in such privileges? He's come to meet with you for that. There's no doubt on his end. Have you come to get acquainted more with these priceless privileges that are yours in Christ? And they're yours by faith. May it be so. Amen. Let's stand.